Welcome to another episode of Viatorian Voices, Conversations on the Way. This episode is another roundtable on the way, a more in-depth discussion to explore things a little further than we can squeeze into the usual 15 minutes. For this installment, we bring to you a panel discussion from a Viatorian Vocation Ministry Young Adult event. Our monthly discernment gathering, Exploring God's Invitation, in July considered how our Viatorian spirituality and our formation in the Viatorian charism spurs us toward a faith that does justice, thinking particularly of walking with people whose society accounts of little importance and how we can raise communities with greater solidarity We spoke with two professed Viatorians whose ministry is primarily in accompaniment and advocacy. You'll hear first from Father Tom Long, CSV. Father Long professed first vows in 1962 and was ordained a priest in 1969. He taught at Bishop McNamara and Alleman High Schools and was associate pastor at St. Vider Parish in Chicago. Father Long then became the founding pastor of St. Thomas More Catholic Community in Henderson, Nevada. Over the last few decades, he has dedicated his life to walking with people on the margins of society, including people experiencing homelessness, people who are HIV positive, and people in immigration. You'll also hear from Brother Michael Gosh, CSV. Brother Gosh professed first vows in 1978. He has taught at St. Bider and Bishop Gorman High Schools. Brother Gosh also earned a degree in social work and has served as a case manager at Howard Area Community Center in Chicago and in social work at Criso Ray St. Martin in Waukegan, Illinois. After getting involved in accompanying immigrants through the Interfaith Committee for Detained Immigrants and the Post-Detention Accompaniment Network in Chicago, Brother Gosh partnered with Father Corey Brose, CSV, in asking the Viatorians to help them found Vider House of Hospitality in 2017. Brother Gosh is the Director of Programs and Housing and works closely with the young men in residence. He also serves the Viatorians as Assistant Provincial with Father Dan Hall, CSV. This gathering took place at St. Vider High School, where some young adults gathered in person and over Zoom. The group included young adult board member and associate Kai Guerrero and young adult board member and pre-associate Jason Wilhite, who also has been a live-in volunteer at Vider House and continues to volunteer there. I'm Dan Masterton from Viatorian Vocation Ministry. And it was my pleasure to moderate the discussion with Father Tom Long and Brother Michael Gosh. Here's the conversation we enjoyed that night on putting Viatorian faith into action. We started by asking our Viatorians to share a little bit about their vocation stories and how they came to become Viatorians, starting with Father Tom and then continuing with Brother Michael. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, I was a uh, student at the Bennett Academy, the Benedictine School in Lyle, uh, at that time, it was St. Procopius. And during the week, so, you know, the thought of priesthood, religious life would, uh, would appear in my mind. Then the weekend would come, and I'd promptly forget it. And then uh, later on, it would come back. And, uh, of course, uh, the, the next weekend would be there. And that'd be off to the wayside, uh, promptly forgotten. And uh, then I, I, it was a Benedictine school. It still is. And I respected the Benedictines, but just knew that the monastic life wasn't for me. Well, I just happened to see a poster there about the Viatorians. I had no idea who they were. So the next class was typing class. It was pre-typing. So what am I going to do? So I filled in the blank, you know, uh, my name, address, and all that sort of thing. Dropped in the mail, had no idea what was going to happen. And uh, the director of vocations called me and said, you know, he'd like to talk with me. I said, okay. So I came out here to Arlington Heights 
uh, he showed me around and I was fascinated by the Viatorians. Uh, but then as of my senior year, the time came, he asked, are you interested? And I knew I just wasn't ready. I said, I'm sorry, you know, thank you, but no thank you. So I went off to college for two years. And then I was thinking uh, there as far as what direction. And the thought came back uh, to me, maybe you would try it out. So I, I thought I would. So I wrote and I said, I'd be interested. And uh, they said, okay, you know, you're welcome. And I talked to, at that time, it was Ken Yarno uh, with it. And then, so I said, well, I'll at least give it a try. So I called my parents. I was, I was, the college was in, uh, in Indiana. My parents lived in Connecticut at the time. And my mother answered the phone and I said, you know, you told me, you and dad told me that if I ever had a concern or problem, feel free to call me, we're with you. And she was thinking, oh my God, what did he do now? And I, and I said, I was thinking about entering the Viatorians and she just kind of, she, she was completely shocked. But one thing I will say, they, they said, you know, if you decide to go and stay, decide to go and leave, or you decide, no, it's not for me. Whatever you do, we're behind you 100%. So I said, well, I'll give it a try. Well, they said, uh, and some of my friends said, you, you're going, we'll see you back in six months. That was six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that, uh, and then as, as far as uh, the Viatorian spirit, uh, you know, where they are now, this is an evolutionary process. Uh, over there. So that's as far as, you know, my entrance into the Viatorians and, you know, going through the whole evolution. That's great. And just to like clarify, people who maybe don't know about religious life, could you just say a little bit about having seen monastic life up close and now being part of an apostolic community, what the difference kind of basically is? Well, the, the Benedictines, they take the vow of stability where their, their focus is on the monastery and the work of that monastery. Uh, very a strong emphasis on the monastic school, also a strong emphasis. Uh, their whole day is centered around the liturgy of the hours, from morning to night, uh, various prayers. Uh, so th that and there's it's much more of a focus on contemplation, and uh, you know a lot of great works come from uh, the monastic authors. Uh, I I knew I was more of an active where like the Viatorians we could go out to. Uh, we had different schools at the time and also different works. And over the years, uh, in 22, I'll be my 60th year of, uh, of vows. Uh, it's been a number of works that I've been in and to which I credit the support of the Viatorians. Great. So Brother Michael. I met the Viatorians right here at this very school when I was a freshman in high school. <clears throat> and I never really thought about religious life until my senior year. And that's when I decided um, to pursue religious life, primarily because of the young brothers who taught me. Back when I was a student here, there were several Viatorians here. And the ones who taught me were mainly the young brothers. They were excellent teachers. They went to all the games. They were all the dances. And they were people that you could talk to uh, if you needed to. And I began to think, you know, I wanted to do something bigger than myself. I wanted to be part of a group um, that could make a difference in the world. And so I didn't tell anybody in my family until maybe a month before I entered. And unlike Tom's friends who gave him six months, my sisters gave me three months. They, thought, they never thought I would make it, but um, I did. And I, but I went with the idea that I'm gonna go for a year at a time. And if it makes sense, I'll stay for another year. And if it makes sense, I'll stay for another year. 
and that's how I approached it. And after three years of college, I dropped out of college. Uh, I entered the novitiate. Um, and then after a year of novitiate, professed my first vows, went back to um, college and ended up coming here as my first assignment to teach. That's great. Um, do you remember a couple of the brothers who were with you while you were a student who were influential to you? Yeah, but they all became priests, much to my just chagrin. Um, but Richard Wren was Brother Wren. Father Lentz was Brother Lentz. Um, McEgan was Brother Egan. Uh, they're, they're all young brothers, but one by one, they all went to CTU. Michael Kelleher, Father Kelleher was Brother Kelleher. He was the cool biology teacher. Um, but yeah, I was primarily taught by brothers. Um, not that, you know, um, I have anything against priests, but I was drawn to... Uh, the sense of brotherhood. That is one of the interesting things about a religious congregation of brothers and priests, where many of you are brothers for life. Some of you are brothers for a decade or two and go on to priesthood. Others are brothers for just a short time and then are ordained fairly early. So it kind of reflects the diversity of religious life in the Viatorians. So to kind of get into looking at faith in action from our Viatorian point of view, and thinking about how we try to put our faith into social action and social justice. I wondered if both of you could talk a little bit about what you've been up to the last few years in terms of prioritizing walking with people who are accounted of little importance and the way that you as just two examples of many Viatorians who have been committed to that sort of ministry and justice have put your Viatorian spirituality into action in accompaniment and ministry. So maybe we'll start with you again, Father Tom. I have a uh, background in development, you know, grant writing and so forth. And uh, well, I started out a number of years ago at a vigil at Broadview Detention Center. That was the uh, center where that there the, the deportations would take place. We'd meet there at 715, uh, there'd be a prayer service and also a company uh, for those who have been deported and also the families. Uh, branched out uh, from there to as far as going to two prisons McHenry and Kankakee. There uh, we'd visit with the undocumented. I'm conversing in Spanish. And I would uh, talk with people and uh, to hear the stories, like for instance, doing that uh, policy of separating uh, children from their uh, parents. I talked to a father who was uh, separated from his teenage son who was a minor. And you can of imagine what he was going through. And uh, was they, uh, he did have what they call an A number, uh, the son's A number. So uh, I was able to get to uh, uh, find out as far as how he could, uh, could, could locate his son. And I sent him a letter in my broken Spanish uh, to him. So at least you were able to make some little impact that way. Also, it was amazing how many times uh, the families had no idea where their loved ones was. Uh, they would, we could call the family members, and I've called Peru, Mexico, Honduras, Guatemala, all, all those places. Uh, and, you know, just to, uh, where the family has some idea where, where their loved ones were, because many times they had no idea at all. Uh, also, the interfaith, uh, they started, uh, for many of them, uh, when they get, if they get released, they had no place to go. So we started a... Uh, we call them Marie Joseph House of Hospitality. And it was for those that would otherwise be homeless. It was in a former convent in Cicero. And I was able to utilize my background in grant writing to secure funding uh, uh, for the house. Uh, and then also uh, 
there was uh, uh, another message I had was that uh, on the day of de deportations from uh, Kankakee, uh, be there at six, the visiting hours were from four to eight for those who are gonna be deported that day. It was every Friday. And uh, like the family members would come in and they would wanna see uh, as far as they wanna talk to uh, say Jose Martinez, just to pull a name out of the air. So the officer would look at a list and then he, you'd hear him say number 42, not the name, just number 42. And then the person would come in front of a camera. They would have, uh, and then their relatives, they had an iPad and they, they would visit via iPad. It was just a waiting room there. We told them that you can go off uh, to the side for, for a little privacy. Uh, then after 10 or 15 minutes, they say, I'm sorry, time is up. Oftentimes then the families uh, would go into the restroom, break down and cry, then come back out. You try to say a few words of comfort without being trite. Uh, also a, uh, a volunteer did, they would either go to Reynosa or Matamoros and volunteers went there and they uh, took, a, uh, took pictures of the place. And also there was a list of what services they have, like they could call the relatives, uh, there would be food and so forth. And um, so you had that, and then you would say a, a, a prayer of comfort. Well, that'd be until about eight o'clock. Then about eight to nine, I'd sit there and just kind of twiddle my thumbs. Then about 9.30 or so, the buses would come out. And uh, then I'd go on uh, the bus and would speak uh, there and they'd be shackled, uh, you know, uh, ankles and, and uh, wrists. And I would tell, uh, try to tell them, you know, that there are people who do care that uh, where they're going. And then I had uh, uh, I keep a list of what they could, uh, could expect as far as food and whatever. And uh, I can say it now, quite frankly, I'd break up. Uh, mm -hmm, even now <laughs> uh, on here. But one, uh, one time, shortly after the volunteer went down to uh, either Reynosa or Matamoras, I had a list there of what they could expect when they went there. It would be as far as there were volunteers with food, uh, they could call their families, there was a consulate there uh, for their papers and whatever. Well, a group went down there that night and a group met them and they said, yeah, and they said, a gringo told us to expect you. And I was that gringo. <laughs> so, you know, there's a little bit of humor uh, in that, but uh, it was uh, a chance, again, with the support of, uh, of the Viatorian community that I was able to do that. It's a difficult but important ministry that you can be a small human touch for people who are in a very inhumane and difficult position. Very definitely. Yeah. Brother Michael, do you want to talk about your last few years? I often tell people that everything I did up to this point has prepared me for what I'm doing now. Um, I was with Tom at the Marie Joseph Houses of Hospitality in McHenry Detention Center. Um, and it was there that I learned about young people being released on their 18th birthday from youth shelters. Um, young people who came here unaccompanied as children, um, seeking asylum, seeking protection. And on their 18th birthday, if they do not have any place where they can go, then immigration comes to the youth shelters, pats them down, handcuffs them, and takes them to adult detention centers, oftentimes in county jails. 
Um, and so we started taking young people at the Marie Joseph House of Hospitality. Um, but we realized that they needed much more than what we could pro provide there. So after I left the Interfaith Committee for Detained Immigrants, um, Father Corey Brost and I approached our religious community, the Viatorians, and asked for startup funds to start Viator House of Hospitality, which is a residence not far from here uh, that welcomes unaccompanied immigrant children who turn 18. Um, a number of you have been there and have volunteered and have seen it. Jason is one of our stalwart volunteers. He gave a year of his life there as an overnight house staff. Um, and it's there where we accompany um, young people as they seek asylum. But, you know, at Vider House and at, and at um, the Marie Joseph House, I learned that um, life is really about um, hosts and guests. And there's a really fine line between being a host and a being a guest. And we cross that line all the time. Sometimes we're the host for other people, but more often than not, if we allow ourselves to be, um, we're the guest in their lives. And that's a privilege and it's an honor and it's nothing really to be taken lightly. At Vider House, Corey and I oftentimes say, we are the luckiest people in the world that we can do what we do um, because these young men let us into their lives. Um, and I will talk forever about that. So I'm gonna stop here <laughs> um, so that we can continue. So yeah, I, I just add one quick thing. Go ahead, Father Tom. As far as the coordination, we're in the Vitorians. We each are able to develop our own particular talents. There is a coordination. One time when I was in Kankakee and I was visiting, there were two young men who had just turned 18. They were yanked out, as Michael discussed, yanked out of the youth shelter and in prison. Now you can imagine at 18 in another country, not speaking the language, landing in prison. I mean, they were completely... And so I was visiting with them and I, I, I kind of pretended, well, I need this for my records and made sure I took the numbers, the names, got those correct and the numbers, whatever, then contacted Michael and said, Michael, can you do something about this? It's the strength of a community the working together. So there's an example of the strength of the community in collaboration, yeah. So I wanted to ask one follow-up on that kind of rooted story of how Vider House started. I know you approached the Council of the Viatorians to start you up. But in the years since then, it very much has gone from not just being Viatorian support, but branching out to huge, wide support. Yeah, we uh, Vider House became its uh, an independent 501c3 separate organization from the Viatorians, although the Viatorians endorse and still fund Vider House to some extent, and they also fund Corey and my salary. Um, uh, so we now have over 70 volunteers um, who come from various faith traditions um, uh, to walk with us as we accompany these young men. We opened up in Jan January 17th of 2017 and we have welcomed 79 men to the house. Currently we have uh, 25, but we could not do it without our benefactors, without generous Viatorians who have you know, given time, talent and treasure um, as well as several lay collaborators. So I guess to kind of build off of this into a next layer down, how would you, as two Viatorian, professed Viatorians, how would you connect your uh, invitation from God to be part of the Viatorian community to the, the hunger you have in your heart to walk with people who are often accounted of little importance? And, and how would you connect your Viatorian religious life to the ministry that you've been blessed to do 
with people who often get ignored or, or underappreciated? Well, I would say that, uh, you know, for me, you know, connecting as far as a Viatorian with the ministry, the one event that really connected for me personally was on May 17th, 1969, I was ordained in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, with the all solemnity, organ, uh, whatever, all that. May 17th, 2019, 50 years later in the morning, I was at the Jerome Combs uh, Center uh, there with the uh, departed, uh, with the deported, excuse me. And as Michael said, where he feels, you know, there as far as getting a gift from them, I received uh, a measurable gift from them. Our province of the United States, the Chicago province, was founded by three immigrant Canadian Viatorians who came to the Kankakee Valley um, to minister, to walk with, to accompany French-speaking Canadian immigrants. And I just really see this ministry as a continuation of accompaniment of, of immigrants. Um, it's for me right now, um, there's no turning back, you know? Once I started into this ministry, this is my life and it's not work. Um, it's really, um, it's life-giving. Um, there are sorrows, but there's also a lot of humor uh, in this work. Um, and I, you know, I'm just really grateful that, that I'm able to do it. You know. <clears throat> Did God call me? I, I don't even know what that means, right? You know, I, what does it mean God calls you? Who knows, right? Other people feel that they have really strong calls when they can recall a moment when it's like, I really felt this call. Um, for me, it's been a slow beckoning over the years, small whispers. Um, and it's not the Viatorian mission, right? It's not my mission. It's not Viator House of Hospitality's mission. It's God's mission. Um, and how do we as Viatorians, how do we plug into that mission? How do we participate in that mission by making God known in our world? Um, and, and that's what it comes down to for me. Someone once asked me, but don't you want to know the absolute truth? And I said, I will know the absolute truth the moment I die and hopefully open my eyes and see that. But until that point, I'm not going to worry about it. Each day, I'm going to get up and try and live my life um, the best way I can in um, building the kingdom of God. The wonderful thing about being a professed religious is, for me, we become religious the moment we profess our first vows, and we stop the moment we take our last breath. We never retire from being a witness, uh, a professed religious. And that's, for me, um, I don't know, that's just a beautiful gift. And I think of the men at the retirement wing um, in their 90s, um, in their 80s, who still witness to the kingdom of God. Um, you might retire from a salaried ministry, but you never retire from, from religious life um, witnessing to the kingdom. That's true. And you as a religious can describe what you do as more than work, is more than that because that's the way that you've professed vows to shape life and to set yourself up to really immerse in this way of witness, really. Um, so thinking of our young adults and young people in Viatorian communities and really, like you're saying, 
anyone who's of goodwill trying to do good. How would you try to point a young person towards experiences, towards formation, towards encounter that will sow in them the seeds that propel them to live a faith that does justice, to be focused on doing the good that's in front of them, to trying to bring greater justice into their community? What do you think a young person could be doing or thinking, or where could they be to learn that and shape their heart in this way? I would think, you know, um, experience I, uh, would be maybe like going into the inner city. Uh, I, I can think as far as my first kind of uh, awakening, if you want to call it that, was uh, the civil rights uh, riots. Uh, I was in a seminary at DC at the time. Our seminary was on a hill. It was a three-story building and it was a flat roof. And the day that Martin Luther King was assassinated, the country went up in flames. And I remember uh, standing on the roof there and seeing three glows. Uh, and you know, their, uh, their neighborhood's burning. And uh, it was a curfew, but you could hear glass being shattered. And uh, then uh, I was part of a group. I went down, uh, we were distributing uh, food and clothing and I went down into uh, some of the uh, into some of the neighborhoods to, uh, to deliver uh, the, uh, these items, and I, I, for me it was an awakening, as far as realize, I we didn't call it then, but of white privilege, uh, and uh, that and the effects of racism, you know, as far as where I was in my air conditioned building, and the the contrast there. Uh, you know, I think in also reading, I mean, like long, uh, I just read a book, Long Time Coming, uh, about uh, an African-American, I, I, the, the author's name escapes me right now, but a reflection as an African-American uh, about his, you know, his, his experiences, what he's experiencing. Uh, but I, you know, as we all know, experience or the impact, or the first time I went down to Guatemala uh, to, for Spanish immersion, and I saw these hovels, these homes. I said, you know, my God, something's got to change on there. So, I, I as far as you, you, uh, uh, getting back to your question, as far as what young people uh, quote advice uh, for lack of uh, that is to experience. You know, reading uh, is important, uh, but the intellectual knowledge, but the experiential knowledge, uh, I think, really hits home. You know, I think we're all called to different things at different times in our lives. I'm not comfortable, right, um, in a lab dissecting, but someone really is. Um, I, I think you have to go with where your gifts are. Um, and, you know, doing the work of justice, I think everybody's called to that, but no matter what we do or where we are, you can commit to justice there. How do you treat other people? That's an act of justice. Um, you don't have to be in a soup kitchen. You don't have to be on a bus praying with immigrants. You don't have to be at Vider House. You don't have to be in an inner city um, working with um, gang members. It's wherever you're called to be. I, I just remember that when I was very young, um, my father died when I was young. There were six of us in our family, kids. And I remember my mother always saying, you know, you have to watch out for the other person. Um, you have to be concerned about someone who has less than you. And that has stayed with me all my life. And I think that's what's drawn me into the different places I've gone. But um, I just, I don't, I remember once we had this meeting 
Um, and um, we opened up this foundation in Belize and the community was real excited and uh, Father Dan Hall and Father Chris Glancy were coming back and talking about their experience in Belize and what they were doing. And everyone was like, oh, that's wonderful, that's wonderful. And I remember some of our converts, some of our brothers were saying, but what I'm doing at St. Fighter High School is important too. It's just as important um, as what they're doing in Belize. We are called to different things uh, in our life. And, and as long as we do them with authenticity, as long as we are genuine, as long as we respect others and ourselves while doing it, that, that's what it's all about, you know? Not everybody can be in different places. Um, so you have to find out what fits for you. But I would also encourage young people who are perhaps thinking about something like this, this as Tom said, volunteer um, and listen to what people have to say. Don't go into a volunteer experience thinking that you're going to solve a problem, but just listen um, to what people have to say. And it's all about accompanying others and willing to be accompanied by other people yourself. Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of kind of Pope Francis' language of encounter, mutuality, reciprocity. It's not top down, it's side by side. Um, thinking of, um, of young people who are going into a volunteer situation or are trying to make time to spend with people um, who are often accounted of little importance. Um, how would you encourage them to approach a volunteer opportunity? What sorts of things might you encourage them to think about? What sort of openness would you try to challenge them to have in their hearts? Because I think I know personally and having worked with students, there is a tendency to, I feel really good about what I did. I've had my eyes opened and those aren't, you know, discardable things, but you obviously want to push to something deeper. So what sorts of things might you encourage a young person to be thinking about or be open to when they approach a situation working with vulnerable people or um, trying to have a, a, a mindset more geared towards justice than just maybe something superficial? I think it's a process and I think it grows over time. Um, and if I, I would encourage someone who maybe is thinking about something like that to look for three months, six months or year long opportunities. Um, and there are a, a wide variety of places where that's available. Um, my dream, and I still haven't given up on it, is still, and uh, Corey talks about it as well as some others, to have a viatorian year of, of a volunteer experience of, of service, a, via, a viatorian service corps, whatever, so that we could explore with people um, what that might look like for others. Mm -hmm. um, and I would also encourage people to do something to do more than to have more than just one type of experience. Um, it's great to go to a soup kitchen. It's wonderful to over, work in a shelter overnight, but it, it, that's just very surfacey. These one-shot deals, it's not enough, I think. And so for someone who wants to go deeper, I would really encourage them to look for three months, six months, nine months or year long volunteer experiences. Yeah, and I think also it would be a, a stretching experience too. Uh, you know, may feel that really can't do it, but once you dive in, you find out you can't. And also there may be setbacks and, uh, hey, I screwed up, uh, but, you know, learning from it uh, on there. And I think as far as for it to be enrich uh, enriching, you know, for the volunteer, as well as to see that there's a problem or a need and are, are, are helping to fulfill it. If it's tutoring or accompanying an elderly person or whatever it may be, 
but you know, to, to know that you've made an impact because you know, we're very much here in the US as far as the individual, you know, individual talents, uh, you know, your potential and so forth. When, uh, that, but I think the other side of the coin is our communal responsibility that uh, you know, uh, others, like we, we say, count a little importance, they're just as human uh, with all the feelings and hopes and dreams that we have. And I think it's important mm -hmm. if you can do it with others. And I think it's important if you can process that experience with others and talk about that experience for yourself. I oftentimes kid Corey, who some of you know, I think all of you probably know, because he'll process something to death. Um, and it kind of scares me. But um, I, I can process like in maybe 15 minutes where he can go on for hours. And he probably would not believe the fact that I'm actually saying that it's important to process, but I do believe it's important to process, but um, there's process and then there's overkill. But, um, <laughs> but I do think um, talking about that experience and praying about it um, yeah. is, is, is critical, is essential. And I think that you as two professed Viatorians and many of the other brothers and priests there is a priority on that in our communities where we're trying to bring young people to prepare themselves with some questions and prayer to then be an encounter with people who are often ignored and then to come home and pray over and converse over what the impact of that is on their hearts, what they learned from the people they served with and not just to do it in a vacuum. And there's and also been a to joke about it too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's I, I very was in, I was in Colombia with a, a witness for peace. And we are a new place, and you know, in among the Latins, you know, respect is very important. Well, we sat there and different people talked on the panel. It was four hours, and we were too polite to say anything. So we were joking afterwards. We said, "Now, how do you tell a Colombian very respectfully and very politely to shut up?" <laughs> <laughs> so I wondered if maybe to kind of go maybe in a more humorous route or maybe just generally into relationships, if, you know, respecting the proper anonymity and confidentiality, you've walked with many different people over the years and you've had a lot of opportunities to learn from people you've served with. Is there any stories that stick especially strong in your mind or heart where you could share with people the impact that you and another person have made on each other through some sort of accompaniment you've had the blessing to do? There are, there's tons of those things, but I remember once when I was doing post-detention accompaniment, um, people would be released from detention and they would call this hotline. We'd pick up the hotline number and then we would go pick up somebody, um, usually um, from the immigration building. And at that time I was living at St. Vida Rectory and we'd bring them back to St. Vida Rectory because we wouldn't be able to get them on a bus for several hours and they'd shower and eat. And then we'd take them um, back to the bus. And there was this one young woman um, who we picked up um, and I brought a female volunteer with me and we brought her back to St. Vider um, and this female volunteer helped her and they went to a private area where she showered and ate. And then we were gonna take her back. Um, and as we were walking into the Great Hound bus station, it was like probably 1130 at night because her bus was late, late, late that night. And as we walked in, she recognized a man who she had been released with earlier that day who was sitting in the, at the Greyhound bus station. And she said, I know him, he was with us. Um, I said, well, let's go up to him and ask him if there's something, if he needs to eat or if he needs anything. And at the time, my hair was really kind of wild and long and curly and scraggly, and it was winter, and I think I might have had a hat on my head or something. I probably looked scary, but we went up to him, and she said, you know, are you hungry? And he goes, yes, I, have, I haven't eaten. I don't go to Indiana until tomorrow morning. And I said, would you like something to eat? And he's just kind of looking at me, but we got him something to eat, and he ate. 
And I asked him when his bus was. And he said, you know, tomorrow morning at eight. And this was 1130 at night. And I said to her, why don't you ask him, um, because my Spanish is very limited, ask him if he wants to come back with me to the rectory where he can shower and sleep overnight and I'll bring him back in the morning. And so she said, would you like to go back with brother Michael? And he just kind of looks at me and he goes, no, I don't think so, because he didn't know who I was, right? So um, as we were leaving, he said something to her and then she answered. And then I walked with her to her gate and I said, what did he ask you? And she said, he asked me, where did you find that guy? And I said, and what did you say? And she said, I told him, God sent you to me, that you were an answer to my prayers. Because when I was in the detention center, not knowing who was going to come and pick me up and get me to the bus, I prayed to God to send someone to me. And it was you. And I never really think of myself as being an answer to God's prayers for anybody. But that day, I started thinking about that. And then I started thinking about if we allow it, we can allow people to become answers to our prayers as well. Um, how many times have I asked God for a more generous heart um, to step out of my comfort zone, uh, to go places where perhaps I'm uncomfortable going, um, but folks yet draw me to that. And so from that day, I think of um, our lives, if we allow them to be answers to people's prayers and allowing other people to be an answer to our prayers as well. And those stories are constantly repeated um, at Vider House and, and elsewhere. One time, uh, there was a man, I believe from El Salvador, he came, he was someplace in, in the Midwest, came to Chicago. It was another step in his immigration process. And he was at, at, uh, at St. Viator, uh, St. Viator Rectory. And Michael asked me, because uh, he needed to go down to the uh, Salvadorian uh, consulate uh, in the loop, asked me to, uh, to go with him uh, there at the process and what, do whatever had to be done there. So uh, the two of us, we get on the L, we go downtown, and you know, uh, find the consulate, go there. And they needed a, uh, he, he needed like two witnesses or whatever. Lo and behold, there was a group from El Salvador who came up from Kentucky and was from the same village as this man was from. And says, I know you, and I, I think he needed like three witnesses and two were there. And somebody says, oh, I know him and made it three. And so the three of them, uh, you know, signed that. And I, you know, what struck me was the fact that that quote coincidence uh, was it the hand of God, guardian angel, coincidence, or whatever you want to call it. But that, at least at this particular time, how the pieces fell into place for the man in, in his step, uh, in his process. You know, living in Chicago, you're oftentimes you run into people who are on the corners asking for money, um, whatever. Uh, and I and I keep a roll of uh, singles in my truck, and I do so. Um, people say to me, you know, how do you know what that person's going to do with that money, right? Um, but there's a 16-year-old student here from Saint Vitor High School, um, and someone asked her that because she oftentimes would give money to people on the street, and they asked her, 
what if he uses that money to buy drugs or beer or whatever? And her response was, I let him make that decision. I don't make it for him. And I think about that every time I see someone. Um, we oftentimes want to run other people's lives and make decisions for other people. Um, but it's allowing people to make their own decisions. And at Vider House, a way to heal is to let people make their own decisions and to tell their own story in their own time, in their own words, and in their own actions. Um, and then just stepping back and kind of getting out of the way. Um, I don't know what people have done with the money I've given them, but it's their decision and I have it to give. I think those are just a few small examples of, like you've said, religious life as witness, doing things in a way that is unique to your professed life, but in ways that we can also do and emulate in our lives in our small ways too. So I wonder just kind of maybe as a final question as to professed members of this religious congregation, but also as members of, you know, the church worldwide, we are a very imperfect, flawed institution. We have a lot of problems. We do a lot of things poorly, but we also are potentially a source for great good and great social change and social action. What do you two, just in two, you know, people's opinions, what do you hope or what do you see as the future of the church and the future of the Viatorian community? in terms of trying to walk closely with people who are too often forgotten or in terms of trying to work for greater justice? What, what do you hope we can do or what do you think we should do? You know, Pope Francis keeps talking about going out and smelling like the sheep. He says, it's one thing to open up your doors, right? Open up the doors to your churches, open up the doors to your schools. But he says, it's quite another thing to walk through those doors and to go into the street and meet people where they are. And that's the important thing of is meeting people where they are and don't expect them to be where you are, to be like you, um, to create a more inclusive um, and accepting world. I think there's been a radical shift within the Viatorian community in the last um, five to 10 years. Um, we were, for the most part, in middle-class parishes and middle to upper middle-class high schools. But in the last several years, we helped open up Crystal Ray St. Martin in Waukegan. Um, and within a very short time, um, we will become the owners and the sponsors of that school, committing to those kids in Waukegan. We opened up Crystal Ray St. Vider in Las Vegas. We opened up Vi uh, Vider House of Hospitality. I think we are trying in our small way um, to touch that hungry world around us in our own backyard. I think uh, it's becoming <clears throat> more and more understanding of who we are as human beings. You know, flawed, good points, sinful, saints, uh, the whole work, and to encounter others as human beings. And I think that is where we find God uh, in, in, the, in the humanity. And that is a continual search uh, of what it means uh, to see the common human race uh, to constantly grow in, uh, you know, empathy and charity and integrity. I think that is a lifelong process. Any, any other final thoughts or things that you want to share from your, your ministry and your experience that you want people to hear? Just so that the, uh, I'm grateful to the Viatorians. I'm grateful to all those men who came before me, um, who remitted 
funds to the province to keep it going um, and the investments that we have, because if it weren't for the men who came before me, we wouldn't have Vider House. Um, we wouldn't have Crystal Ray St. Martin. Um, we wouldn't have Crystal Ray St. Vider. So I'm extremely grateful uh, to the men who came before me. Um, and I'm extremely grateful to the community that allows us to do what we're doing. Um, we're small, um, but uh, we're flexible and we're, I think at a point where we're letting go a lot of those structures that I think might have held us back before. And, and I think we're going into the future wide open knowing that um, there's still much to be done and open to the ways that we could um, live out um, the, the building of the kingdom of God. And I would echo uh, Michael's sentiments as far as being grateful to the Viatorians to provide the, the structure to do what I'm doing. I could never do that by myself. And also the, the fact that in many ways, you know, you do have the community support that, uh, you know, the, the general values are, are there. And, uh, and also as far as, you know, if there's times that we're wondering or questioning or whatever, there is always somebody that can bounce off uh, ideas and frustrations and joys. And I think it's neat too that you can probably point to countless men who went before you who are a positive influence and example on you. And whether you know it or not, men who will follow in your footsteps will point to your witness and to the things you did and pick up the baton to carry forward the ministry in their way. So you may not see it or know it, but you'll be called upon in those ways too in the future, I'm sure. So thank you very much for sharing tonight. At this point in the evening, we opened up the conversation to questions from the group. One young adult started the Q&A by asking the two men, what keeps you going and how do you practice self-care? Being an introvert, there are times that you know, simply have to pull away. For me, I enjoy bike riding and to bike along the lake by myself, by the water, I you know, do that. And also, I think to recognize that, you know, I think we all have the Messiah complex and want to, uh, to save uh, people and to realize that do what you can and, uh, and to realize that, uh, at least for myself, you know, I'm not almighty. I am you know, very limited and did what I could and had to let it go. But to, uh, specifically, as far as self-care is very important because uh, without that is burnout. And for me, my, what I do is life-giving. I don't find it draining. I don't find it tiring. Yes, at times it's extremely sad, um, but I get up each morning ready to go back there again. Um, I get frustrated when I, I, I love this one person. She is just a real role model for me, but she once said to me, Michael, we can't help everybody. And that's like fingernails on a blackboard for me. If we start with the premise, we can't help everybody. We're going to stop trying to look for more ways to help more people. Um, it doesn't exhaust me. Coik says, you're the strangest person I've ever met. I can move furniture for someone all day long because why would you not, or why would you pass up an opportunity to help another person? To me, that is the most energizing thing um, I can do. So I guess I just might be strange in that way. And maybe I will eventually hit a wall. I do think self-care is important, but it's different for each person. You know, our DNA is different. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, it's 
for me, what helps is I have wonderful friends. Uh, I have a wonderful community I come home to. Um, and I also am a member of different organizations that do this kind of work. And we support one another in the conversations that we have. Um, but as long as I can go to bed and sleep, uh, get up, I'm okay. Um, uh, and it's different, I think, for each person. Next, someone asked, how do you view your service in light of being a part of the Viatorians? You know, there's, there's individual attraction, right? What we might be attracted to do individually, and then it's what the community calls us to do as well. And for us, it's, it's a balance. I know that I spent many years um, of my religious life working in community apostolates, whether it was St. Vider High School, um, whether it was Bishop Gorman High School, whether it was um, St. Martin, uh, Christa Ray St. Martin de Porres, but I also um, followed some in individual interests by working for many years at the Howard Area Community Center, Interfaith Committee for Detained Immigrants, Rest Shelter, uh, things like that. But in religious life, it's a balance. You know, where, where can you best use your gifts? Um, where does the community need you to use your gifts? And as a brother, I've been a lot freer to explore that because I haven't been called to do sacramental ministry and serve in a parish that we've had. Um, but yeah, when you're a member of a religious community, you have to remember um, what you decide to do, where you discern to go has to be in the context of being a member of a community, that we're not a bunch of lone rangers who can simply go where we want to go. Yeah, I'm both a, uh, you know, a religious and a priest, but I consider, first of all, myself being a religious, secondly, being a priest of working as far as within the community. I mean, like, for instance, I, I taught for eight years in high school and, you know, along with brothers and uh, lay people, and then 16 years in parish work. And then, and then went into other work as well. Every time I try to do something new and I get that terrible pit in my stomach, like, why did I decide to do this? It's always been a good sign because it's always turned out well. Um, when you begin to think, oh, I'm going to throw up. I can't do this. What the hell was I thinking about? Go ahead and do it. Finally, another young adult asked Father Long and Brother Gosh if they had any reading recommendations to help them learn more about justice. I just finished uh, Long Time Coming by Michael Erickson. I Google it. And it's uh, not a long book, but it, it's a reflection of, uh, as an African-American, of you know, what, what, he, what he goes through. Like, um, you know, the fact that somebody sees an African-American male get away to uh, side or you know, the other slights or whatever, and what that does to them. So it, uh, I, I, I personally, uh, I can Google it, uh, but it's, it's a long time coming. And I just, rec I just sent the book to my cousin uh, on there uh, to read it. And I, I found that uh, a, a helpful one. And of course, nowadays, there, uh, now there are all these books coming out uh, after Black Lives Matter. Uh, one I haven't read, uh, I'm going to is how to be an anti-racist. I, ha I have not read that yet, but th that's on my list. So CAST, C-A-S-T-E, um, it's a heavy read, but it is powerful, um, uh, which talks about institutional racism um, and white privilege. You know, if you read the life story of um, Dorothy Day, you know, someone who made a real difference with her life, um, 
the blindfolds eye um, by diana ortiz um, who recently died of cancer uh, she was a ursuline nun who was kidnapped and tortured in guatemala and her road to recovery and um, what she did to, to get there um, and her work with survivors of torture. Um, that was really eye-opening. Another, it's like, it's uh, in the New York Times, <clears throat> uh, the article was Dear White People. And it's uh, as far as the difference in mentality, like say for the uh, minorities of, you know, what their experience as far as racism and those of us of the privileged class uh, think, oh no, I'm not racist at all, uh, whatever. And I know that uh, article and, and another book on that was White Fragility. It, I think it reflects as far as, you know, uh, we talked about the chasm uh, or the di or different camps here in the US. And I think uh, you know, th that does show that where we as the privileged have to do a lot of examination and also uh, and to talking and to not realize we don't have the answers, uh, but need to listen to what people's experiences are. To cap things off, as the young adults discuss the challenges of politics and current social unrest, drawing on Father Long's references to the riots following Dr. King's assassination, he then recalled another pivotal episode in Chicago history that he saw up close and wanted to share about. I was a deacon in Chicago, and of course, uh, everybody was talking about the Democratic Convention and the riot going on uh, there. And um, I was at St. Vitor Parish in, uh, there, and there was a priest, uh, visiting priest who wanted, uh, who was gonna get the mission talk. So I wanted to go out, it was Saturday night, I wanted to go out. And I said, would well, you wanna uh, go out and I'll, you know, tour Chicago? And then I, I, I said, well, do you wanna see where the Democratic Convention is going to be held. So I drove down Lakeshore Drive and I got off at of 47th Street and I thought, well, it's at, uh, the, the amphitheater is at 47th and Halstead. That's 800 West. It'd be about eight blocks. So I forgot that uh, the, the drive swings east. Yeah. So it's about 16 east. Yeah. I get off at of 47th Street and it was a hot summer night. They didn't have, we didn't have air conditioning in the car back then. And the tension in uh you know there you could cut it with a knife and i'm with a guest and i'm i'm chatting away you know, trying to be very casual but as far as just the whole tension and uh that you know it, it was a tinder box and that could explode any time that's all for this installment of viatorian voices roundtables on the way we'd like to thank father tom long and brother michael gosh for their insights in our discussion and the young adults who attended the event and engaged in our discussion. To learn more about Vider House of Hospitality, visit viderhouseofhospitality.com or follow them on social media on Twitter at Vider underscore house, on Instagram at Vider House of Hospitality, or on Facebook by searching Vider House of Hospitality. To learn more about our young adult ministry, DM us via social media at Viatorian USA or email the Young Adult Board at ViatorianYA at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you about your ideas for podcasts and events and have you involved in our community life. Viatorian Voices Conversations on the Way is a production of Viatorian Vocation Ministry. The Viatorians are professed brothers and priests together with lay associates who proclaim Jesus Christ and his gospel and raise communities where faith is lived, deepened, and celebrated. 
In the footsteps of Venerable Louis Curbs and under the patronage of St. Bider, we strive to do everything well so that through us, Jesus may be adored and loved. To learn more about our community, visit viatorians.com or follow us on social media at ViatorianUSA. Those seeking support and accompaniment in exploring God's invitation for them, especially those considering religious life with the Viatorians, are invited to reach out to Vocation Ministry. Send us a DM on social media or email vocations at viatorians.com to start a conversation. On behalf of Brother John, our Director of Vocation Ministry, and the whole Viatorian community, I'm Dan Masterton. St. Vider, pray for us. Adored and loved be Jesus. Jesus.